Welcome to a special edition of Power Hour with Sour Wow. Today I catch up with two-time Premiership winner Mark Hughes. Now before we get into Mark's chat about his football career and uh, dealing with brain cancer, I want to make sure everyone has the opportunity to jump on the website Mark Hughes Foundation Support beanies for brain cancer if you can't get one on the website you can go to your nearest Lowe's or IGA jump on Mark Hughes Foundation today to get your beanie for brain cancer in round 19 in the NRL uh, Mark Hughes two-time premiership winner thanks for coming on Power Hour with Hour. let's get straight into it take me back to your first game in 1997 a losing effort against the Gold, Gold Coast Chargers but you scored a try <laughs> So it was uh, it was a good way to start. Uh, I mean, obviously we got beat, but I remember it was a rainy night up in Gold Coast, um, midway through '97, and I back in them days you'd play reserve grade and then you'd sit on the bench, and uh, you'd be one of you know six or eight blokes sitting there in the queue hoping to get a run, and it was a rainy night and Gold Coast were weren't very fancy at all, um, and they came out and we were we were going pretty well in first grade and. They put on about 18 or 24 points on us pretty quickly. And um, anyway, Robbie Davis, the fullback, uh, went down and they told me to get up. And uh, before I knew it, I was out there playing in the rain and we were behind by about 20. Um, anyway, as it turns out, uh, I did quite well. School at a We got beat, but I was just, you know, couldn't believe that, uh, you know, I'd got to run in with the big boys. It was amazing. Well, later on that year, I mean, you must have went all right because later on that year, you you play in a grand final victory over Manly. I mean, we've seen, as fans, we've seen that moment so many times where Joey goes short side, Albert scores the try. But what was that like? I mean, it was your first year in first grade. I couldn't imagine playing in a grand final in my first year. What was that like for you? Uh, I was, it was a bit surreal, mate. I, I found myself on the bus the day before the grand final uh, in Newcastle, and there was a whole car park full of people to, to see us off. And, um, yeah, it was about my 15th, I think, appearance in first grade, and there I was uh, about to play in the biggest game in Newcastle's history. And we're very lucky because in that team, we had uh, some different... We had these senior players like um, Tony Butterfield and Paul Harrigan, uh, Mark Lamble. Then we had this, this tier of players that were in their mid-20s that were sort of peaking uh, at the time. Blokes like Matthew Johns, Adam Muir, Andrew Johns, Robbie O. Davis. Uh, it was a really good mix. And then there was guys like myself. Uh, Matt Gidley didn't play that day, but Darren Albert, uh, Owen Craigie, Adam McDougall, who were really 18, 19, 20. And we were just feeding off all that. And, um yeah, it was surreal to be, you know, I was playing park football at 18. Um, to then be playing in a grand final at 20, it just was pinching myself. So, yeah, it was amazing. That try happens and one of the most iconic moments, but it's the party afterwards that's mostly talked about now, I think. And those celebrations, what was the one story where you sort of take away that you, that you can share, but the moment that yeah. you sat down and, and you realised that it was a childhood dream to win a premiership, uh, 97, you get one in your first year? Oh, just to get on that bus with the team and the celebrations and the atmosphere in the bus, knowing we were at a two-hour bus ride, well, it took a bit longer because of the traffic. <laughs> and You know, I remember stopping because we had to have a... Um, 
a pee stop, I think. The, yes. the toilet must have overflowed. And we stopped the bus, and then all these cars started stopping and, and had their beamers on us and, um, we, 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 you know, watching and cheering us on as we, <laughs> as we went to the toilet. So, <laughs> uh, then we came into Wall's End and the police escorts, and now Andrew Johns was jumping out of the car and jumping on the police cars out of the bus. And um, it was just an exciting thing to be a part of. And then to then pull up at the Newcastle Workers Club at the time and see the people out, out the front of that and inside the place, it was mayhem. And, um, yeah, I just couldn't believe I was part of it. So it was, uh, yeah, something that you never forget. And then, you know, then you have the uh, a street parade three or four days later and just so many great moments. You say great moments, but in 2001, I actually went to this game as a young fella. Now, I didn't support Newcastle or Parramatta, but uh, in my house, Parramatta were absolutely hated. So we went <laughs> and uh, had the same junior colours as uh, Newcastle Knights, being from Wagga. Yeah. You win in 2001. That first half was just... Uh, was it unexpected from you guys? Did you walk in at halftime and think, that's probably the best half of footy we ever played? Ah. Uh. That was just, yeah, that was an amazing half of footy. And, you know, you just got to remember the Parramatta team, they were, they they were, were flying that year. Yeah. They were breaking records. They were scoring points. They, their defence was unbreakable at times. So we knew we were up against a top-notch opposition. But, you know, we had, you know, Ben Kennedy was absolutely firing uh, at lock. Andrew Johns calling the shots at halfback. And our full was really really stood up that first half and steamrolled Parramatta and the you know, the results of that were our edge our edge forwards like Billy Peden got two tries, Steve Simpson on the right hand side got tries. Um and it was just yeah, I don't think we dropped the ball, completed twenty sets and we came in at half time with the game pretty much wrapped up. What does a guy like Joey say at half time or even before the game? Take me back to before the game because 97, it's probably you're all a little bit young and you bounce in there against a red hot manly side and you come away winners. But 2001, you've already done the job. What's Joey's instructions? How does he work before the grand final? Well, the bigger the games were, the, the more Joey would rise and, and you just see him at training and the way he conducted himself, he, he would be on. And I think Ben Kennedy was the same. He was big match player. And both Ben Pair were buzzing. They were really buzzing in, in the lead-up. And um, Joey, such a great football brain. He almost, he's like a coach. And he he would map out what we need to do, you know. We must complete our first five sets. We can't drop the ball, you know, just simple little things. And you just knew that um, if you could do your job, uh, when you had a champion like that calling the shots, you, you're more than likely going to get the job done, and that's certainly what happened. So you jump out to that massive lead at half time. I, I've been in those sheds and those moments where your mind starts to wander if you don't concentrate. How do you come out that first set? Do you remember the first set after half time? I remember, I remember yeah, you, you come back out and you get the roar of the crowd, and I think you get the realization that, hey, it's, we're not quite there yet. We've got 40 minutes to go. and um, Parramatta, to their credit, clawed their way back into the game. But yes. Kamana Tahu scored a try off a kick, yep. uh, which sort of probably finished them off. Um, so, yeah, we probably could have done a better job in the second half, but we also were playing against... We know we're playing against quality opposition. And, um, yeah, you can say that you're focused and all this, but I, I could imagine 
Um, maybe we did slip a little bit in that second half. Well, you realise how hard you've worked to get back. Well, for you, uh, Mark, to get back to that moment of winning another premiership and... Yeah, you start to think this is it. Yeah, you know, again, I'm going to reach the mountain at the top. You played 161 games. I get all my stats from Malcolm Middleton, so if they're wrong, yeah. I can blame him. But 161, <laughs> no, good, 161 games for Newcastle, yeah. wing, centre, and fullback. Yeah. Now you played on the wing in '97, centre in 2001, and you play fullback for New South Wales in 2001. What was your best position, in your opinion? Yeah, look, I think centre, uh, Salian. I actually wore the wing jersey in the 97, but I actually played uh, centre. Right. So there was a bit of a... Yeah, so I did play in the centre. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have the raw speed for a winger. Um, so I, I found that my, my timing and my game was suited to, to playing centre. But in saying that, I had some really good times at fullback. And I think my versatility really saved me a lot early in my career because, you know, there were so many, so many wonderful players in the outside backs there at the Knights when I came in that... Uh, it was to my advantage to be able to slot into different positions to, to keep myself in first grade. Now, you played fullback for New South Wales. Take me back to the moment where it's 1 1 and the great Wayne Bennett calls mm. the, the other great half <laughs> at the time, yeah. Alf, Alfie yeah. Langer, back. What was the yeah. talk first when you first hear it in New South Wales camp? What was the talk straight away? Yeah, we were all hearing the, the reports and. Um, you know, you're sort of thinking, oh, well, you know, even if he comes back, he's been playing in England. I don't, wasn't even sure if he was setting the world on fire at England in England. And um, we were feeling good about ourselves because we, we had a convincing win at, in Sydney in game two. So we just thought if we got our own game right, we would um, be good enough to win. But, uh, you know, it couldn't have been further from the truth. Uh, we went up there and scored after three or four minutes. We thought, well, this is good. Good, good, scored in the corner. Yep. But then from then on, the big crowd and the momentum went to Queensland and um, we just couldn't stop it. And um, to, to Alfie's credit, he, you know, he was sensational that night and, um, you know, they were, they were far too good for us and that, um, that, was, the, um, that was my final um, origin game. Yeah, and I know the feeling. You get so close and you lose a series 2-1 and... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably get the feeling that, well, we lose 2-1, I, I might get a shot next year knowing that we were close, but it never ends up happening. And then you, you unfortunately missed out on the Kangaroos team in 2001. Did you see yourself as one of the elite players to be to be good enough to make that team? Or do you think you're a bit unlucky? Or did you think that there was guys that were probably ahead of you? Yeah, probably so. I mean, I'd never really looked at myself as the elite uh, of the competition. I just saw myself as a... Curry boy doing his best for the Knights, um, going out and representing the town every week. I just loved that. And I never really saw myself in that top tier of players. And when I got a taste of it, I, I loved it. And, you know, I was proud of, you know, what I achieved there. Um, but no, I'd never, I never really was disappointed that I didn't get in any sides. Um, I think I achieved way more than... I thought I ever would, so I'm, I'm very blessed and grateful for that. Now, you spoke about the Curry Curry Bulldogs there. You won a grand final in 1995. Describe, yeah, sure describe, describe the people, Hugh, because you win a grand final uh, out in the bush. It's different, isn't it? Yeah, it, look, it was, it was an unbelievable... It was an unbelievable thing, being a Curry boy and to play uh, in a grand final at your home team... To play a grand final for your home team uh, at 
at Carrie was just, I was ball boy for Carrie. I, I, you know, I grew up just loving my local footy and there were some really good players running around, mate. I played, I had in my team uh, Ewan McGrady. Yes. Who played for the Bulldogs. He was playing for Car- uh, Canterbury. He was playing for Rothman's, Curry. Rothman's medal winner. Sure was, mate. And what a player. And um, I was 18 and I was, I was light and I was playing against men. And, you know, I struggled, but I, I got through it and we, we won a premiership. So that was the springboard for me playing NRL. So I didn't have the opportunities. I didn't go through a junior system. I, I didn't I didn't have any weight programs. I I just sort of did it the country bush way and um, found my way uh, to the top, um, you know, from a, from a course that's, you know, not often done by players. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I was pretty much similar to yourself. I didn't make any rep teams, but in terms of coming from the bush in Wagga, being skinny kid, you know, you come up to Sydney and you almost feel like you're a couple of years behind them. But do you think that helped you when you went into the big games in first grade that you were able to back yourself knowing that, you know, you you, you weren't ushered through the back door of, of getting into the NRL, that you actually worked Definitely. for it? Mate, I, I really think it did. Um I also had an apprenticeship as a fitter machinist. Yes. Um, so I, I got a feel for what it was like to, to work. Um, and I, I certainly felt struggle. And, I, I, you know, I was going, playing against men, playing against... So I never was in that, you know, under-17 team feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm playing NRL already, you know. And I didn't have that uh, night jacket to wear uh, around the shopping centre when I was a kid and all that stuff. So I think um, I'm really grateful that that's sort of the path that I took because it helped me appreciate what I had when I got there and um, I wasn't going to let it go once I got that opportunity. Now 2013 uh, you had brain surgery. This weekend's a special weekend for the Mark Hughes Foundation and the brain, uh, Beanies for Brain Cancer, I beg your pardon. When it all started, when, when you are first diagnosed, run me through your thought process after everything had happened that you sit down because you, you do some fantastic things a couple of years later but could you ever have imagined the success that we're having uh, in Beanies for Brain Cancer now, so many years on? Ah, uh, no. Nah, look, me and my wife, we, you know, we, we dreamed big and we wanted it to be, uh, you know, a successful foundation. But we could not have, we couldn't have dreamed that big. Um, you know, once the NRL got on board with us, um, you know, and that's a lot of thanks to the Calendar family, Matt Calendar, who passed away, he yes. was Channel Nine uh, executive, and. He helped put it all together. And once once that's happened, this is our third NRL beanie round, um, and we're just kicking so many goals um, all because of this. And, you know, it's it's a weekend where maybe the two points aren't quite as, as important. I agree. You know, maybe, you know, maybe people are, are thinking more about others and, you know, putting a beanie on. And it's just so awesome to see everyone come together for a common cause, whether it's the referees, whether it's the coaches, the players, the supporters. It's just, for me, it's really humbling. And at times, I don't really know where to look. Yeah, I think you're right. Having been involved in a couple of them now in retirement, uh, you have the chance to look back and go to to the ground, commentators, players, fans, and you look at everyone. And I think you're right, Mark. I think that... For one for one round, we forget about the importance of two points. And you look around, there's beanies everywhere. Uh, I've got mine for this week. Um, where do you take it to now? Are you trying to raise $3 million this year? Are you hoping that you'll get past that this year? Yeah, we're hoping to get um, around that, mate. I'm just very grateful. That's a target we've set. But 
um, you know, I'm just so grateful that we're that we've got this opportunity. And where we take it from here, we we have um, a scientific committee who who they steer where all our funding and money goes. So they'll have a big meeting after this round, and we're going to be going to researchers with uh, that are going to be innovative and have got big ideas, just like us, because. The answer for brain cancer may come just in something with some innovation or something a bit left field. And we're going to uh, examine all those options. Um, and we've just got, we've got a loaded gun now. We've got a loaded NRL gun that we just didn't have. And with these funds, you know, brain cancer hasn't changed in 30 years. So we're, we're out to change that. And uh, we've had, with the NRL's help, uh, you know, we feel like something special will happen. Can you talk to me about your recovery, um, Husey? Because I know that a lot yeah. of your former players were involved with helping you come down to scans that you have to get every three or four uh, months. Is it? So, yeah. can you tell me? Can you tell the people a little bit about that and and who helps you now, or is someone driving? Yeah. You're in the car now, so is someone driving you down yeah. now? Yeah. Well, um, it's funny you say that. I've got big Paul Chief Harrigan driving me uh, now, so he's come down with, to Sydney with me, and he's our ambassador, and he's um, helping with radio interviews and media. He'll be on Fox tonight. So he'll, he'll take a bit of workload. And that's, you know, how lucky am I to have such such great support from former teammates. And, Sally, as you know, you play sport and you achieve things and that, but at the end of the day, it's I think it's the, the, the mateship and the, the contacts that you get out of the game that's probably the most special. And um, when I was uh, going through treatments, I had to go to... Central Coast 33 times for radiation. I would have friends and family driving me down, and I can drive now though, so uh, I don't need that anymore. But um, I certainly am so grateful for the, the support, and especially a lot of my former rugby league teammates. Yeah, you spoke about Paul Harrigan. Now I've got here. You went and did uh, Kokoda Trail. It was Chief's idea. When how far? Because I've done the Kokoda track, and I know mm-hmm. how hard it is. How far mm-hmm. into the walk did Chief turn around and say, "Maybe this. Maybe we shouldn't have done this." <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you something. What else we did? We went to a, to the uh, place called Boona uh, over there, yes, and, in Papua New Guinea. Yep. And we got on our mountain bikes and we rode 120 kilometres, right, on our bikes right. through the streets. Then we did Kokoda. Then we rode another 40 k's to get to. Paul Moresby. So we went from coast to coast yep. with 18, 18 people and uh, we raised money and it was just an unbelievable experience. We had, I had Billy Peden and Chief. Um, David Fairley. Joining me. Dave Fairley. Oh, Daisy. He was awesome. <laughs> and then we, um, the next year we went to um, uh, Face Camp Mount Everest. Yeah, I'm going to get to that because I just want oh, to stay okay, on Kokoda. So you raise over 150,000. 150, and what an experience you've done it, mate. Just to what they what they must have gone through over there. Yeah, um, you it's know, pretty humbling, it's, isn't it? It's humbling, and you hear the stories, and you you pay respects. It was one of the most special things, and I I advise anyone out there if they ever get the opportunity to to take it on. It's it's one of those things where it's humbling at the same time that you really test your mental strength because you're walking for hours and hours on end, and to be able to do it with a group of mates must have been, yeah. To look back at your journey the last the three years before that, it must have been, yeah, for you emotional as well. Yeah, it's an emotional one that one, isn't it? Where you, you hear the stories and you become exhausted yourself, and it does get and you know around the campfires at night, it, it does get it become a bit emotional and. You know, on the track, it's a bit like life. You've just got to take one step at a time. You've got to be patient, and you, and you'll get there in the end. And that's what happens in a Kokoda. You, 
you're walking from 6 a.m. and you're walking until 5 or 6 at night and um, it's it's tough stuff. So, yeah, it was a great great learning experience. What people won't realise, when I did it, um, Husey, you walk up to the top of this mountain and there's Coke and uh, chips, you know, twisties for sale yeah. and you go through. So, for <laughs> me, I didn't lose any weight because I was always just loading up on the Coke and twisties. But... Um, yeah, yeah. It's not very cold, though, that Coke. Nah, man. but it's, it's drinkable, I'll tell you that. Yeah, you just want anything, don't you? Yeah. 2017, after doing Kokoda, you decide to go one better or, or even that, and you go to Mount Everest uh, Base Camp with uh, Matthew Johns, Peden again, Danny Badiris, Menzies, Matt and Kurt Gilly, and, and the Chief again. Yeah. How different yeah. was that journey to Kokoda? Well, it was like you're in the bright lights and Everest. You, you, you're just on this big stage looking over the amazing views and so much to look at and see. Uh, so it was a different trip to Kokoda. I'm not saying it's any better. It was just different. And yeah. um, we had, I had a lot more of my former teammates there, which, which was pretty special as well. Um, and we just have normal people, you know, the, the CEO of Toronto Workers Club, uh, a Wolfie, um, a rep, you know, there's lots of different amazing people that come on the trip. And yeah, it was it was a really uh, amazing experience. And we had um, a couple of the boys get sick at the top. Um, that got quite scary. Right. Yeah, that that became scary when they got sick. Um, In terms of like just uh, altitude sickness. Right. And what happens there? Uh, well, they just they had to lay down, and they they're um, we had to get them helicoptered the next day. Yeah. To hospital and. It was real scary there for a couple of hours for a couple of them. Frightening. So uh, there's a bit of a serious side to that one. But I tell you what, it was a special a special trip. And once again, I'll say if, if you ever get the opportunity, it's one that I would take on. Now let's talk back a little bit about footy again. I want to. I ask everyone, what what was your first car? I had a little blue uh, little Nissan Pulsar uh, P plate. And I remember it had a little kill switch. So... You have to turn the keys on, and there's a little secret switch underneath, so no one would steal it. Oh right, okay. And yeah, um, little, kills, little switch. Yeah. Did you have the cassettes? What was the song that Mark Hughes was cruising around Newcastle in? Oh, had the cassettes. Um, probably, maybe a bit of Queen or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I did enjoy the radio. Um, I do. I don't mind a bit of talkback these days, but. I think I think you admire that as you get older because when you're younger, you put the music on. You don't want to hear any talk on the radio, but nah. you would know yourself now. You talk in the media and you're doing pieces and you don't actually mind hearing people's opinions and, and how they feel about things. Yeah, that's spot on, mate. So <laughs> uh, you certainly change over the years. Yeah. Uh, what about your best game where you came off and you thought, I'm probably the best player in that position in Australia at the um, moment? Mate, I tell you what, I... Had some really great times at Newcastle at home there. I remember um, I was in hospital one night. We had our firstborn son at 7 a.m. in the morning. I hadn't slept a wink. I went home at about 9.30, laid on the lounge for an hour, got the gear, went to the, um, the stadium. We are playing Manly. Um, no sleep. Scored three tries. <laughs> uh, rocked, the ba- rocked the baby with the ball. Like they do, yes. Um, and just a special, uh, a special day for that one. So, my son um, turned fifteen, so that was fifteen years ago. Yeah, um, wow. That's a special memory. Yeah. What about your worst game? Uh, well, you thought, see, because I, I, I had heaps, so I'd come off sometimes and be thinking I'm going to get dropped, but I was lucky enough to be <laughs> held on to for a little bit longer. But oh, 
Yeah, mate. I, I, you know what? I, I was one of them blokes where me, me best game, and it wasn't too much difference between me best game and me worst game. I was fairly consistent, but um, I remember once I just re-signed, I think, at the club, and then we played the Dragons on a Friday night, um, and I was up against Mary McGregor, and I think Big Mary might have stepped me uh, once or twice, and uh, that wasn't probably my greatest moment. But um, he was a t- he was a tough player to play against, uh, Paul McGregor. Yeah, I think I remember some of those early clashes, and you just look now different players. Who's the one player that you sit back now and you think that you were the most similar to back when you were playing? Oh, that's easy, Kalen Ponga. <laughs> <laughs> um, mate, uh, look, um, uh, <laughs> um, I tell you what, I admire the, the I admire these, these modern day players. That's for sure. Um, Look, I'm just trying to think now of the centres that um, are pretty steady. I, I, as a centre, I, I would pass to my winger a lot. And I like seeing centres that are, uh, have got the ball skills. And for me, as a centre, and I was a centre with Matt Gidley, we used to pass the ball a lot. And yes. I think I like seeing centres that are passing the ball as well, you know. Will Hopawate, um, those guys yeah, with silky Will, hands on an edge. Skills. Yeah, so someone like Will who's got the skill and hand pass, that's sort of uh, what I admire in... Uh, the outside backs. Well, Hughesy, we'll finish with this, mate. I'll give you the open mic. Uh, tell everyone where they can grab their beanies this weekend and, and leave us with a message before ahead of uh, beanies for brain cancer around in the NRL. Uh, so, okay, so it's a big weekend. We need your support. We need your help. So get on the Marquis Foundation website. Uh, we have got beanies in Lowe's right across Australia. We've also got them in IGA. So recommend getting on the Marquis Foundation website and just double-checking your nearest stockist to make sure they're in. Get them at the game, or you can even get online and get one through the Mark Hughes Foundation. And it means a lot because um, there's no cure for brain cancer, and myself and so many others need the answers, and we need them fast. And the only way to do that is is through research. So please uh, make a donation, buy a beanie, and, um, yeah, give people like myself hope. Thanks very much, Mark Hughes. Appreciate your time. Oh, pleasure, Sally. Thanks for having me, Thanks, mate. mate. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining us on Power Hour with Sour. Don't forget to jump on, rate, review and subscribe. And also go to Mark Hughes Foundation to support Beanies for Brain Cancer in Round 19 in the NRL. Don't forget you can get them at Lowe's IGA. Support Mark Hughes Foundation this week in the NRL.